What is it you see? Oh, <laughs> well, some, sometimes I imagine seeing a, a baby. A baby? It dances. I, I don't know what it means. I, I guess I'm going to have to whip out my Freud book. I had a therapist who told me to just confront them. Dancing babies? Oh, hallucinations, uh, dreams. I used to have a hallucination where my dead aunt kept wanting to have tea with me. It went on for two years before I finally stopped her. How'd you stop her? I had tea with her. Welcome back to Thank Fucking God It's Friday. I'm Katie, and I have another guest this week, Laura Jane from Bygones, which is an Ally McBeal rewatch podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you, Katie, for letting me guest on your show. I've listened to TFGIF for a while, I guess since I, I joined Ladypod Squad and found out about you guys, um, and I always really enjoy it, so I'm really excited to be a guest. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad to have you as well. And today, I think it's no surprise what we're going to talk about. It's a show that capitalized on one of the first ever viral videos, a 3D-rendered animated dancing baby. <laughs> of all things, Ali McBeal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... It's usually pretty easy to find some fun facts about shows. There was exactly one article that was fun facts about Ally McBeal, and <laughs> they weren't that fun. <laughs> it's really weird, Ally McBeal, I find, as a piece of pop culture, because at the time it came out, it was so huge, and I cannot like over say that enough because I remember it was just so zeitgeisty because it was so weird and like unlike anything that anyone had really like watched before it was a real like water cooler show like at school or in the office like my I used to watch it with my parents and you know everyone would be like did you see that weird show last night with the <laughs> with the weird like you know like fantasy things that happen um and nobody really knew what to make of it but it was so popular yet you think of all the 90s shows that are popular now, uh, that were popular back then, that maybe weren't as like huge as Ali McBeal. Like she was on the cover of Time magazine at one point. And right. you don't, like there's like Friends, for example, was equally, um, or, you know, also iconic. And there's so many think pieces about Friends, like 20, 30 years later, like revisiting it. But Ali McBeal just hasn't had the same level of attention like retrospectively which I find really odd given how big it was like it was up there at that level and I just am like why is it not like people, <laughs> people it's like people just completely forgot about it it's really weird yeah and it's interesting because you mentioned the time article or the time cover and I think the language on the front was is feminism mm. dead like it had these feminist icons and then Ally McBeal yes. and uh, one of the things that I did read was that it was kind of ironic that it was positioned that way because of all of the people that were on Ally McBeal, the women from the show are the ones who had their careers launched by it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the other guys, um, uh, well, uh, Peter McNichol, who played John Cage, he was kind of established as a, he'd been in lots of films before that and was an established kind of well-known actor before. Gil Bellows had also been in um, movies as well. Um, and yeah, and, and the other, the other, pe the, the sort of male characters, I don't think they went on to do 
as much higher profile stuff as all of the female people. Like we all know Jane Krakowski, she went on to do loads of other stuff. Um, you know, Callista went on to do um, Brothers and Sisters and like all kinds of other stuff, um, Supergirl. And, uh, you know, uh, now uh, Portia de Rossi married Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> and she was on Arrested Development. <laughs> yes, and she was on Arrested Development. Um, but yeah, also, and Lucy Liu obviously went into movies and is a huge star. Um, so yeah, it really was a great kind of launching pad. And you actually see even the guest stars, there's loads of random guest stars in it that I'm like, oh my God, I forgot they were in Ali McBeal. Like John Hamm is in one of the first episodes as a random background extra. It's just bizarre. So yeah, there's yeah. Loads, of, loads of people who got some of their first acting jobs on Ali McBeal. So it was quite a good launch pad, I think. Yeah, I think it's a show that I don't know if it's divisive or what, but it's something that I think just a lot of people haven't reconnected with since it originally aired. And part of that might be that it wasn't super accessible for a while. Like they didn't have it on DVD until like 10 years ago. And it is streaming on Hulu now. So, you know, if it's something that you watched back in the day, go back and watch it on Hulu now. Yeah. Interestingly, in the UK, um, very recently, at the beginning of September, they took it off of Amazon Prime, which was the platform that had the rights to it over here. Um, And they'd only put it on the October before. So they've given it like essentially just shy of a year and they've taken it off. And I'm just like, no, (laughs) I now have to like dig out my DVDs of it rather than just watch it on Amazon Prime so I'm really really annoyed because I think our UK listenership will start going down again (laughs) because nobody can watch it but yeah it's weird it's just really weird that um, it's just not I guess people because everyone that I speak to who does revisit it it's like oh my god I forgot about this show I used to love it and then they're sort of watching it in a a love-hate kind of a way because you watch it now and we'll probably get into this when we talk about some of the episodes but some of it and quite a lot of it hasn't dated that well (laughs) which is forms the bulk of bygones and what we talk about on my show but um in a way I kind of like that um revisiting of stuff that happened like in the 90s that you used to love and be like oh my god we've learned so much since then isn't that amazing and uh I think that's a really useful exercise to do so yeah it's interesting it's interesting that not as many people have revisited as they have some of the other shows that were popular around there but you know it is what it is yeah well do you want to talk a little bit about the premise of your podcast Yes, so we are uh, another one in a long line of rewatch podcasts. So um, we basically rewatch um, every episode of Ali McBeal. Um, so we started a couple of years ago with season one, and each episode we cover the next episode along. Um, so at the moment, we're just getting to midway through season three. Um, I think we're about, um, about to launch our episode on one of the episodes we're talking about today. Um, so season three, episode 16. Um, so yeah, so you'll get, you know, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on that, you can go and <laughs> listen to our new episode as well. But um, yeah, so we're heading into... Um, interesting times because season three is a bit of an up and down season. And then season four is when Robert Downey Jr. joined the cast. Um, and everybody thinks quite fondly, I think, of that season as well. And then season five, the final season, um, is, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of hardcore fans would rather pretend that it didn't exist. So I'm actually quite, yeah, (laughs) I'm kind of looking forward to getting to that because I just think we're just going to be like every episode is going to be like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah yeah this is insane so yeah um that will be fun but yeah basically we're just you know episode by episode exploring the journey of Ali McBeal um and what happened so yeah that's, yeah. that's the premise what made you want to start a podcast about Ali McBeal well, uh, my sister and I, um, so I do it with my sister, um, Eleanor, she's my co-host. Um, we got chatting about wanting to do a podcast and we really like listening to rewatch podcasts ourselves. So at the time we were in, really into buffering the vampire slayer and the West wing weekly and stuff like that. Um, and we were thinking, well, what show would be good to revisit? And both of us immediately thought of Ali McBeal because a, there isn't another podcast rewatching it. So I don't know whether that just means that we're insane or that just nobody <laughs> else has thought of it. <laughs> but there isn't another podcast doing it uh, up until now. Um, and B, um, we it was just that one show that we both religiously watched together with our parents. Um, and that when we were quite, I think I was about 13 or 12, 13 when it first started airing. And she's two years younger than me. So it was just a time in our lives where we were really, I don't know, impressionable and um, have really vivid memories of like watching it with our parents and how we felt about it. And we loved it. It was, it, we all loved watching it. And we just thought it'd be really interesting to go back and revisit and see whether what we loved about it still stands, um, which I think is a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, you and I are the same age. So I was the same age as you when this was yeah. airing. And like you, I watched it with my parents it's weird, though, because a lot of my memories about the show aren't really about the episodes. They're more about the music because yes. my dad had the soundtrack in his car. So yes. I remember, you know, in the summer we would be driving in his like convertible, which was kind of a treat because we didn't get to ride in it that often. And we had the top <laughs> down and we would be blasting Vonda Shepard. And <laughs> that's amazing. I love the um, the music in the show. It's almost like another character like Vonda Shepard, who is the musical uh, director, I think our title ended up being. Um, uh, but she basically, David E. Kelly was a big fan of hers before the show even started. And when he was looking for someone to do the music or be that you know presence at the bar, um, she, he immediately thought of her. And then eventually she kind of got creative control about all of the songs that we used in the show. Um, so that's, I think that's really interesting. And what a, what a great gig for her to get, you know, what exposure. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's in almost every episode, right? Yeah, almost, almost, not quite. But yeah, um, she's always at the bar singing. And when she's not singing, she's singing covers that end up on the soundtrack of other scenes as well. So yeah, she's the, right. she's the Greek chorus of the show, I think. That is a good way to put it. Yeah, a lot of the time, the songs that she's singing, if you listen to the lyrics, they definitely play into what is going on with the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. What did you love about the show originally? Like what kind of struck you then and made you remember it fondly? I think part of it was the fact that it was unlike any other show that I'd seen up until then in in that it is a it's a a dramedy as they like to call it so it's a it's definitely comedic but it's definitely got the dramatic storylines as well um but the use of the kind of i we call them gift moments before gifts were a thing so 
Um, the dancing baby that we'll come on to is one of them. Um, but in the first season, essentially, they really established this trope, which was... Um, Ali has these sort of flashes of, you know, fantasy type hallucination, questionably at some points, um, of her imagining things happening that aren't really happening, but they go to or speak to what she's feeling at that point in time. So, for example, if someone says something really bitchy that she doesn't like, she'll look at them and imagine like daggers, like shooting them in the, right. in the, in the chest or, um, you know, other, other things like that. And, and they're like tiny little animated, like virtual reality type moments, but there's not, there's not been anything really like that. And that was one of the things that made the show stand out in the first season I think to people um it was just a little gimmick that I think worked quite well um they faded that out so in the third season we see that less and less it still mm. happens now and again but um in the first season it's really like there's several of those moments in every right. episode whereas in the third season it's like once in a while you'll get one um but I think that made it stand out but also um the fact that she was quite a young woman um looking for love um when you're 12 and 13 that's on you've started to become interested in love as a concept and um at the time I was kind of semi-obsessed with uh quote unquote the boy next door um and so was Ali Ali was obsessed with Billy who was her boy next door and I just really like resonated with that and I was like oh I think you know I understand what this woman this 20 I'm 12 and I understand what this 27 year old character is going through thinking about um you know the one that got away kind of thing um so yeah that kept me watching for a while um and I also actually went on to study law at uh university and I can't lie that a lot of that was heavily influenced by thinking that being a lawyer was going to be like working at Cajun Fish. Um, <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> and I no. didn't actually end up going into law because I realized that quite quickly. I mean, it's probably a good thing that it's not like <laughs> working at Cajun Fish because that yes. place is pretty problematic. <laughs> it, but, is, it is. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of was similar in that I really liked Allie and the fact that she was a professional, successful woman and, mm -hmm. you know, when I was like 14 or 15, maybe I was like, oh, maybe I would want to be a lawyer in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it definitely didn't happen. I'm an accountant. But <laughs> like the different. image, <laughs> the image of her and Robert Downey Jr. in season four, it's one of the Christmas episodes because I always watch the yes. Christmas episodes. Um, they're like carrying a tree back to her apartment in the snow. And I was just like, that would be just so nice and so romantic. And yeah, that was the dream. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And, you know, I think it she uh those kinds of and it was quite a 90s view of the way you know life needs to turn out but um that kind of you know wanting to find a man and settle down but grappling with like the very modern concerns of wanting to have a career as well um that was that was kind of it was what a lot of the conversation the kind of societal conversation was about back then because obviously that's around the same era that Sex and the City was starting and all these other kind of female-led uh, programs. Um, so I think, yeah, it was definitely a moment in time um, that spoke to me as a, you know, young woman, essentially, uh, growing up. So, yeah. 
All right. Well, we should probably talk about some of the specifics of the show. I know we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but Ally McBeal was a legal comedic drama or dramedy, as you said, (laughs) that was created by David E. Kelly and it aired on Fox from September 97 to May 2002. David E. Kelly, of course, is the creator of so many legal dramas. Yes. And this was one of many. Another of his was The Practice, which aired on a different network, but they had crossover episodes occasionally. They did it once, I think, in season one. And uh, that was uh, really interesting to cover because we never saw the second part, which aired on The Practice um, because we didn't watch The Practice. So watching it for the podcast for the first time was like, oh, so this is how it ends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was an episode. It was one of the Christmas ones. It had to have been because we talked about it when I was on your podcast. Oh, they had cameos. You're right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So I've been on Bygones twice because... I come on to talk about Christmas episodes. So I came on in season two and then recently in season three, I watch the Christmas episodes just about every year. And so those are the ones I know very well. And they're so much fun for me to talk about. So I always love coming on your podcast to cover those. We love having Katie as our unofficial Animate Bill Christmas expert. (laughs) Yes. And we're all Parkers. Yeah. So I'm like... (laughs) The, the Parker from the United States who yeah. got away. Irish train shipping. I wish I could be in England instead. <laughs> yeah, no, but you are right. They did have cameos, the practice cameos. So those were dropped in now and again. But yeah, they only had like the proper crossover episodes was like in season one, they did this big, okay. you know, um, one one episode was Annie McBeal and then they had another episode where the same storyline continued into the practice, which was which was quite cool. Which is interesting because they were on different networks. So like, yeah, the fact that they got the buy off to do that and it wasn't one show leading into another directly. Yeah, it was. I think that was quite a feat that they managed to pull that off. But yeah, clearly, um, you know, promoting Annie McBeal, which was the newer show at the time um, because the practice had been established for a couple of seasons, I think, when they did that. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, I maybe hope it worked for them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we have Callista Flockhart as Allie. She is a quirky, flighty, and over-imaginative lawyer working at the Boston legal firm Cajun Fish. And like you were talking about, she has these kind of hallucinations that we see that other people just kind of sometimes see her like gazing off. Yeah, staring off into middle distance. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, what's going on? Um, And she talks pretty openly about these hallucinations. Like everybody knows that she has them and they're not concerned. Nobody seems at all worried about the fact that she has hallucinations, which Eleanor and I on Bygones have always been like, mind blown because we're like that could be a sign of so many different (laughs) mental health problems that you should probably get checked out. But yeah, I mean, she does see... A therapist. It's uh, Tracy Ullman in season yes. one, right? Yeah. So yes. I mean, she does something, but in one of these episodes, the first that one that we watched, like Renee's just like, I mean, you. This happens to you all the time. What's so different about this time? I know. I know. It's just so like <laughs> laid back about the whole thing. It's just mind blowing. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess because she's so good at her job, maybe they're like, well. Whatever. Yeah, it's like functioning alcoholics, isn't it? As long as you're like holding <laughs> stuff down, people are like, oh, well, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. 
So when she starts at Cajun Fish, she is surprised to find that she will be working with her ex-boyfriend and only love, the boy next door, Billy Thomas. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but he is married to another lawyer who works with them. Yes, Georgia. She didn't actually work with them right at the beginning, but she ended oh, okay. up working at Cajun Fish about midway through season one. Which, okay. you know, what a great idea. Why not start working with your boyfriend, your husband, sorry, and his ex-girlfriend? Like, that seems like a recipe for success, right? <laughs> well, you know, maybe she needed to keep a closer eye on them because she did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything escalated after that, for sure. <laughs> yes. So Billy is played by Gil Bellows, and so he's married to Georgia, and he's just terrible. I know that you guys do, like, your guilty, not guilty every week, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time he gets a guilty verdict for something that he has done. Rightly so. (laughs) Yeah, he's a good lawyer, but he's, like, sexist and selfish and emotionally manipulative and... It's just such unconscionable behavior. Yeah. He's a really good example of like the guy that you were in a toxic relationship with. Like he just never wants to be the bad guy, but is constantly manipulating you um, and then making it seem like he's the good guy all along. And it's just so like watching from the outside in today with the benefit of like some life experience is so transparent. But I remember at the time being like, no, Billy and Ali are together forever. They're meant to be. (laughs) And like, now I'm like, oh my God, Billy is the worst. No one is meant to be with him, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, he is just so hard to watch. And I just feel so bad for Georgia the whole time. Mm -hmm. So she's played by Courtney Thornsmith and, And I mean, she's pretty like headstrong, self-assured. And of course, she doesn't like the way Allie's presence affects her marriage. Like she's absolutely valid in that feeling. And like Billy just basically keeps telling her, like, there's nothing going on. Get over it. Meanwhile, he's like emotionally cheating on her. Well, he's just a little sneak. So George, I love as a character because it could have been so easy to write a character like Georgia as like this like shrew, jealous wife of Ali, like threatened by her presence and like just completely insecure. But she's not written like that at all. She's written as someone who is um, really confident in what she's doing. She's a great lawyer. She is um, fun. She's sassy. She's, you know, she's everything you want from a, from a wife. Uh, well, I would want for a wife if I was looking for one, <laughs> but um, she's, she's just brilliant as a character. And when she finds out about Ali initially, she's a bit taken aback, mainly because Billy never told her that he had this massive, serious relationship before he met her. So that's on Billy. That's not Ali's fault. Um, so of course, she's suddenly like oh my god um because she she turns up at Ali's uh, apartment and is like uh so I heard you guys dated and Ali's like uh well actually (laughs) we were like in love um and she's like oh my god does that mean you slept together and Ali's like yeah and Georgia's like oh my god he never told me any of this but then they managed to forge this friendship actually that is really lovely to watch because they are um really you know they have a lot in common 
Um, they George is really nice and funny, so why wouldn't Ali want to be friends with her? But Billy continually sabotages it by playing the two of them off against each other, and that's that was one of the most frustrating things because it was like I really loved watching their friendship develop, and they never really got a chance to get further than a certain amount of depth because of Billy. Billy put you know stopped that so. Um, yeah, Billy. Billy's the worst. <laughs> yeah, he wants to be the main focus. He doesn't want them to have their own thing. He wants to be the common denominator between them. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want them to have a connection without him, without it being related to him. Um, and if if they do, he gets very insecure about it. Um, he's he's quite immature and just not very evolved in that sense. Yes. Speaking of immaturity, <laughs> the firm itself was started by one of Allie and Billy's former classmates. I should say Allie followed Billy to law school. <laughs> yeah, of course she did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Richard Fish started the firm along with John Cage. And Richard is kind of like a man child in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. The original man child. Very yeah. uh, immature. Yeah, he's also, like, pretty unethical. He's a really, like, nice guy. He's very successful. Like, he's kind of the face of the firm. So mm -hmm. when they're getting new clients and stuff, he's usually the one to work with the clients directly while Cage is the one who is actually, like, doing the strategy and all that. So there's so many different elements, though, with... I just call him Fish. I don't call him Richard. <laughs> but... <laughs> He, like, has this relationship with one of the judges and is obsessed with her waddle. Yes. The, like, flabby neck skin. <laughs> yes, which we always thought when we were younger, because we're British, we thought it was uh, waddle, as in, because uh, that's how you guys, you know, you don't pronounce the T's as much as we do. Um, but then we were we were shooketh to find out that actually it's spelt wattle. Um, and it is what you described, that that is the word that is used for, like, the chicken, the bit of a chicken that sits under their necks. <laughs> it's a horrible word. But, yeah, he loves it um, and is called constantly um basically sexually harassing women to try and get a get his um jollies from feeling their necks um and it's just horrend horrendous to watch but, it's the um, weirdest fetish yeah <laughs> to I mean, me <laughs> i mean not I'm the not weirdest it. <laughs> but it was like uh like to see it described that way for i mean a couple <laughs> seasons at least it was just like what is going on yeah and he loves it I don't know why, but I guess each to their own. I mean, I don't mind him having a fetish. What I do object to is him just, you know, grabbing people's wattles whenever it suits right. him. That's yes. not cool. Like, yes. it doesn't matter if other people don't find it sexual. You do, and that's the problem, you know? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, he is usually just, you know, going after the money. He yes. wants the firm to be successful so that he is successful. And I think a lot of the time he, like I said, he is kind of unethical. He doesn't care how they do it as long as they do it. He'll take on clients who have obviously done something like egregiously wrong <laughs> because he thinks that if they're successful, it will mean so much for the firm. Yeah. And he just puts Allie and the other lawyers in these positions where it's like, how are we supposed to defend this? Yeah. He's he's very shallow, Richard. Um, he does isn't interested in having 
uh, opening up to many people. Um, he's a very interesting character in that way, but it's a bit frustrating because throughout the course of the series, we never really get much of a chance to get to the bottom of why that is. Um, there's a few glimpses of it here and there in certain episodes, but he um, he has this you know, he plays in the shallows. He doesn't let anyone in past a certain point. Um, but he also, weirdly, although he's very unethical, he does have a heart of gold in the people that he cares about. So if anyone is um, has a problem at work, so if anyone's in any kind of trouble or um, needs help, he drops everything and makes everyone else drop anything to help them if they can. There's a firm, if it's a legal problem, for example, Ali's been put in contempt of court a few times. When that happens, he's <laughs> like right we are all fighting to get her out like this all for one one for all attitude and he gets very upset when he feels like that kind of family vibe that he's going for at the firm um people you know are uh he gets upset if that seems to be um threatened in any way or if people aren't feeling like that so there's a couple of times when um elaine for example sued the firm at one point because the men were creating a sexually charged environment that wasn't very comfortable <laughs> for the women and he was like oh well this isn't fun anymore we're meant to be a family and even though he was very much in the wrong um he was more just upset that you know uh someone wasn't also enjoying it so he's he's, he's a, a man of contradictions i think uh richard he wants everyone to have fun but also just on his terms which doesn't necessarily always uh always match up so yeah, yeah th that's a good way to put it yeah and kind of the foil to Richard is John Cage. Mm -hmm. So he's played by Peter McNichol. He's a very successful lawyer. Uh, like I was saying, he's more in charge of the strategy and he works more directly with like Ali and Billy on the actual cases themselves. Yeah. But he's also very neurotic and anxious and, and eccentric. Yes. Eccentric. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he has these weird tics. He has a nose whistle that happens yes. when he like gets nervous. He has a stammer. And yeah. He relates to Allie, I think, a lot in she has these hallucinations and stuff. And he doesn't have hallucinations, but he has kind of similar, I guess, mental health experiences yeah. that he can kind of relate to Ali in that way. Yeah, he has actually said that he has experienced hallucinations in the past, which is interesting. Um, we don't see them in the show, but he has, yeah. he has referenced it. But I yeah, guess he did say this... that in one of the episodes we watched too. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, but um, he, yeah, he has um, a lot of social issues I think um and um things that he goes to a therapist for and actually it's him who recommends Tracy um Ali's therapist that she ends up seeing um but yeah he him and Ali have this connection based off of their oddities um in many ways um and they feel like they're only they're the only two people that really, really understand each other and how their brains work. Um, and there is this weird thread, and we see a bit of it in the first episode that we watched, um, where there's this kind of recurring um, storyline plot point that rears its head every season or so, where it's like, 
one or the other of them is like, should we be together? And every time it happens, <laughs> me and Eleanor are like, no, we've been through this. You don't want to be together. You're just very good friends. But okay, yeah. I guess we'll have another episode on whether you should be or not. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's happened. In season one, we see a bit of it here. In season two, they revisited it and they've just revisited it again in season three. And we were like, again, like for God's sake. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, they've got a very strong connection and they keep intermittently confusing it as romantic but I don't think they're meant to be um together together yeah yeah for sure and so John's idol is Barry White so a lot of the time there will be a Barry White song singing um I think that's like because Allie has her theme song so I think that's like John's thing too because they have the same therapist yeah he channels I think that's where it came from but also he channels Barry White when he wants to feel confident in front of women. Um, so he'll be like, you know, do, 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 do. That's the song that yeah. he'll stare at himself <laughs> in the mirror and get himself in the zone. And then he can like, you know, not freak out in front of women. So um, yeah, that's that's like a running gag as well. And they actually had Barry White guest star eventually in season two um, because they'd made such a big thing of it being like John's, um, I just, I guess, I know spirit animal is not a very PC term, <laughs> but I, I'm trying to think of what else to call it. But basically his talisman for, um, you know, being confident and, you know, feeling feeling less insecure about himself. And so Barry White's team, I guess, agreed to an appearance, um, which was, uh, I think it was Nell had arranged for Barry White to appear for John Cage's birthday in the bar. And he did I remember that now. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was yeah. such a good episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One thing I don't like about John, and I know that we touched on this the last time I was on your podcast, is that because he is so uncomfortable with women, the way he treats them isn't great. Like, Mm Uh, Nell was standing underneath mistletoe and so he was literally like stalking her trying to sneak attack her with a kiss and it's just like that's not how you do that that's not appropriate that's not okay and he does kind of resort to trickery in things like that with women yes I mean also there's the I think part of John's problem is whenever he has issues with women or he's not sure what to do, he often goes to Richard for advice. And Richard is the last person that should be giving advice about women. <laughs> Very <because> true. <laughs> he's so selfish and um, misogynistic in lots of ways. Um, so there was also the time where John overheard Nell saying to her friend Ling, who played by Lucy Liu, um, that uh, she fantasizes sometimes about being spanked and... John overheard this and was like, oh my God, what do I do with this information? I never even knew that this was something she was into. And he speaks to Richard about it. And Richard advises him to just surprise her with a spanking one time. And he does it. And of course, Nell is horrified because he hasn't got her consent. He goes about it in a really strange way. Um, and he actually executes it in a way that just looks painful rather than erotic. <laughs> um, and she was she almost calls the police. Like she's so horrified. Um, wow. And I can understand that. Um, but yeah, that's just one example of John just bungling relationship situations. Um, and again, <laughs> mainly because Richard, he doesn't go to the right people for advice. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they present it that way, but yes, me too. It'd be awful with it. Well, I mean, she ended up staying with him for a bit, which is, uh, I would be like, well, that's game over, but you know, they did, they did essentially present it as he'd done the wrong (laughs) thing, which is good. (laughs) Yeah. So Nell, she's played by Portia de Rossi. Um, she comes in, 
Is she in the first season? No, no. So okay. um, Lucy Liu um, and Portia Devossi, so they play Nell and Ling. Um, they get introduced in the second season. So Nell's, okay. I think, the first episode of the second season. I think Lucy Liu's maybe the next one. I can't remember. Okay, yeah. yeah. So they become main characters. Each of them date Richard and John, respectively. I might have them back. I'd have them backwards, but yeah. <laughs> Ling dates Richard. Richard, yeah. <laughs> Nell dates John. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, they're pretty serious and for the most part and quite the opposite of Allie. Like Ling and Allie just seem like total opposites. Yeah, they are, but and they I think they clashed. Well, we'll come on to Nell in a minute because we're talking about Ling now, but um I think they clashed a little bit by virtue of Allie not really liking Nell and Ling was Nell's best friend and that's how right. she's introduced into the show. So I think it was kind of, oh, you're friends with this woman that I hate. I don't like you either. Um, but um, they are very, very different. Like Ali is super insecure all the time, whereas Ling is like not insecure in the slightest. Um, and I think Ali feels threatened by that. Um, I think Ling thinks Ali is a bit ridiculous and doesn't have a lot of time for her. Um, but interestingly, as season two went on, and as we got into season three, we see their relationship develop a little bit um, in that um, they become friends over that um, Elaine has some kind of dance contest that she's meant to be part of and can't get a partner. And Ling agrees to step in at the last minute. And Ling has this interesting, um, she's very hard a lot of the time, but she does have this soft side and this very, very kind side that comes out all of a sudden. But she almost likes to keep it under the radar. She doesn't want people thinking she's, you know, weak. Um, so she sort of does it anonymously a lot of the time. But anyway, <laughs> she steps in to help Elaine. And I think Ali was like, oh, she is nice. She is, she is sweet. And then at the beginning of season three, they had this storyline where Ali and Ling were actually quite attracted to each other and they had this sort of gay experimentation uh, storyline oh. and I'm now like um, I actually quite ship them together because I think <laughs> that they're better for each other than any of the men <laughs> they've ever dated because like, yeah. Ling, like Ling gets Ali to loosen up and like calls her out on her bullshit and Ali brings out Ling's softer side so I quite like them together but they experimented decided it wasn't for them which I don't buy but whatever um, it was the <laughs> 90s I suppose um, and then um, they've, they've kind of sort of stayed their separate ways but they do have these moments and I think we see a bit of it in the third season episode we watched where Ling does reach out to Ali and they do have a have a friendship there so that's interesting um the last person that i kind of wanted to talk about really quickly was elaine so you kind of just <gasps> oh, mentioned her yes and she is the receptionist right uh she's ali's assistant ali's assistant okay yes. although and she basically tries to insert herself into any business that is going because she's a gossip yeah. and just loves to be important so yeah <laughs> yeah she's the fun person she is very sexual uh some of the guys use her as a quote-unquote fluffer that's john yeah he does yeah that, which is problematic <laughs> it, it is and she really likes to invent stuff so she like invented the face bra yeah she invented uh uh, condoms that I think they were in different colors and had sayings on them or something yeah, like that. Sayings related to the person, so they're like personalized. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she invented um, like ice goggles to like cool your uh, under eye bags, um, which I actually think is a great invention. <laughs> I would buy that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and she also has um, pheromone pants as well. So she soaked some of her pants in pheromones to help her attract men. <laughs> Well, <laughs> so yeah, the list of Elaine's inventions is very long. Um, she's very entrepreneurial. Yeah, and she's one of those characters that comes across as being pretty surface level, kind of a little bit like Richard, um, but she is kind of a side character. But throughout the series, she does show that she is much more than that. Last time I was on your episode, she was trying to adopt this baby that she found in a manger. <laughs> It's interesting like when you say premise, these things but... out loud, you're like, oh my God, what? <laughs> it made sense at the time. It did. And it was very sad, like when uh, she wasn't able to keep the baby. Yeah, it was. Like you definitely see that she has this other side to her that is completely separate from her outward persona of being sexual and fun and there for others' entertainment. She's very interesting, Elaine. And I think out of all the side characters, we've gotten to see the most backstory from her. Um, she is, um, I mean, I love her because she's played by Jane Krakowski and I think Jane Krakowski is amazing. I'm such a huge fan of hers. Um, and, you know, no matter what ridiculous situations Elaine ends up in, you always end up buying any kind of emotional payoff just because Jane Krakowski has, is so good at selling it. And that, that, baby in a manger story is is you know a, a case in point um but yeah elaine basically as a character just wants to be liked like she um had a very shitty childhood like her her um you know she was bullied at school and that kind of thing which we find out kind of piecemeal through the series um but um and her family are just awful to her um but she um, she essentially, all of that like bluster and like overt sexuality and the wanting to get in everyone's business and be useful all the time, that is just her wanting people to like her. And Ali's had a few kind of deep and meaningfuls with her over the seasons where she's been like, you know, sometimes you go a bit far Elaine, you know, don't, you know, don't be so um, gung-ho all the time. People do like you just for you. I mean, Ali's also been really harsh on her as well um, in terms of criticism sometimes too but these days they are much more um friendly than not friends I think uh sometimes Elaine is a bit much for Ali and Ali just snaps at her <laughs> which is a running <laughs> gag um but um but for the most part Elaine just wants to be liked and she would do anything for her friends and that's why I love her plus she's a good secretary like despite all of the other stuff like she's a brilliant assistant she's so efficient and so always has all of the information that you need when you need it like knows where everything is deals with clients really well like she's just really good so, um, yeah, I think Elaine, I'm a big Elaine apologist. <laughs> yeah. And I, I forgot, I should also say, so Elaine's character, she loves to sing. She always organizes the Christmas party. Another yes. person who likes to sing is Allie's roommate, Renee, another lawyer. Renee! She's at yes. a different firm, but obviously they have a lot of crossover there. And, yes. um, she's played by Lisa Nicole Carson mm -hmm. and she basically confronts Allie on like her bullshit a lot of the time. And again, she is totally fine with all these hallucinations that Allie has, but <laughs> weirdly fine. <laughs> she is sort of, I, I find her to be pretty similar to Georgia in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
they're both much more self-assured than Ali and Renee's brilliant so Ali lives with Renee she's her in the most amazing apartment yeah great apartment um so so stylish for the 90s definitely but I would still live in it today but yeah they um they have um, they have a really interesting relationship. So as you say, she calls her out on her bullshit, which is exactly what someone like Ali needs. Otherwise, they would just spiral into you know despair constantly. Um, Renee gets her to see like step back and just see like the reality of the situation. Be like, come on, it's not that bad, um, and takes her to stop gets her to stop taking herself so seriously all the time, um, which is great. The thing about Renee is she's often just cast or pigeonholed into the black best friend trope, which irritates Eleanor and I because Lisa Nicole Carson is brilliant. Um, as you say, she's an excellent singer. She is so funny and so deadpan. Like she could be used so much more interestingly in the show and she just isn't we rarely get any of her backstory only in a couple of storylines here and there and she's basically just there to be Ali's sounding board which is such a waste in my opinion and also sadly um, Lisa Nicole Carson in real life had some mental health issues towards the midpoint of season three I think it started to come out so she just kind of disappears off the radar for a lot of season three so um, we're kind of in the point in season three where we haven't seen her for a few episodes and we get Mm. her back I think towards the end of season three but then she's only in a handful of episodes right till the end of the series at the end you know another couple of seasons which yeah she was written out of season five it's never really explained I think she comes back for the last episode as like a token the last ever episode as like a token like gesture but it's just never explained and it's just such a sad ending to that character because she had so much more potential um so yeah I I really love Renee but I don't love the way the show treated her (laughs) yeah and for the actress so she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and I think the way that they treated her as an actress and then her character as a consequence just kind of shows how much farther we've come with mental health stuff now than we were doing well I mean it was the early 2000s at that point but yeah yeah yeah, definitely. But I mean, that's that's pretty much everybody. There, it is a pretty big cast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. So those are the main uh, gu- the main guys. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into the episodes, I know one of the things that you talk about on your podcast is when things are very problematic. Is there a kind of recurring theme with the pro- problematic things you've seen with the show? Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, there's definitely um, fat phobia is something that comes out a lot. Uh, so, and it's kind of interesting to talk about that in the context of Annie McBeal, because of course there was a lot of news coverage of and gossip magazine coverage of the fact that Callista Flockhart was so, so tiny. And we know that Courtney Thorne Smith and Portia de Rossi had issues um, with their um, health and their eating um partly fueled by the pressure of of needing to be a certain size or feeling that they needed to be a certain size for that show or just generally um in Hollywood um and um yeah in the show there's loads of examples of just everyone being repulsed by the concept of larger people or larger people being seen as these big oafy ogres that will never be able to get love or you know settle down or be happy um and they're just it's just a bit gross to be honest um so that is a thing that Eleanor and I hate and we actually even made our own jingle to 
to uh, to highlight it when we come across it because it happens so often. Um, wow. So that's one thing. Um, but also Richard's just lack of um, regard for just in misogynistic ways um again we've got a little sort of sound effects thing that we use um in homage to the show because that show does those types of things quite a lot but we have a cat hiss that we put in whenever we have to cover Richard doing something uh that we would take issue with so you know him <laughs> touching people's wattles without consent but also he'll um just stare at women or treat women like objects a lot of the time or there for his kind of you know, pleasure to look at and just be generally gross about women. So that is something that happens a lot, which is not nice to watch these days. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope that those were things that were seen as not okay back then, but also the fact that it was used for comedic effect kind of makes it okay with the show. So that's the the issue that we have. Like, I think the show is trying to say like, oh, look at this idiot for being like this. But also you're saying, oh, look at this idiot in a fond way. Like, oh, we can forgive him because he's so funny about it. And I'm like, no, I'm not forgiving him because he's so funny about it. Like if someone did that and I was friends with them, I'd be calling them out on it. I'd be like, dude, that's not cool. Um, Yeah. Whereas you're just like, oh, just give him a pass. And I'm like, no, not doing it. So, yeah. (laughs) Great. Well, yeah, that's all very terrible things. <laughs> so I, I completely agree. And, you know, there are a lot of things like that with Ally McBeal. And I wonder in, on some level if that's partially why this show hasn't been revisited by a lot of people is because yeah. it doesn't hold up with certain things like that. And it is somewhat hard to watch, like you were saying. Yeah, I think people are surprised when they go back and they're like, oh, hang on a minute. Why did I like this? This is awful. (laughs) Yeah. You were saying though, like there's so many think pieces about friends and these other nineties shows. Like there should be something like that for Allie McBeal, even if it's critical of the way that it was handling situations like this. And there just really aren't like I did see a few, but they were really brief and, they were mostly just about how the show didn't last for very long because it was it was ended after five seasons. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting because as you say, Friends has some problematic stuff in it, like homophobic (laughs) and do you know what I mean? Um, But it's um, it's still somewhat beloved by people. I mean, I still enjoy watching it a lot of the time. Um, I was a fan. I still am. um, And I understand the problematic nature. But I think we can recognize that and recognize that times have moved on. Um, yeah. uh, but with Ali McBeal, yeah, there just doesn't, I think it's just weird to me that there, it was just so, as I said, it was just so big, like everyone was talking about it and literally no one has talked about it since. So <laughs> it's just a bizarre, like, uh, you know, uh, just the, 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 the level of attention just doesn't add up in the way that other shows that were so big back then have also kept being talked about. Um, I just, I just find that quite interesting, but yeah. And it is an entertaining show. Like you wouldn't be doing a podcast about it if it wasn't entertaining. There's so, so. much to talk about, I think. Not only in terms of stuff we liked, uh, stuff we didn't like, but also there is stuff that we still like that's in there um, that are good. You know, there are good episodes in there. But um, I think it would be quite boring to make a podcast about a show that's just consistently amazing because you'd have nothing to <laughs> critique it on. So I always think it's more fun to do it on a show that there's a lot to like pick apart and be like, well, that's 
not right or this should be done better. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we recently covered Step by Step on our podcast Ah. and both of us hated watching it so much. It was a show that (laughs) I remembered liking, but now watching as an adult, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so dumb. (laughs) And even though it was hard to watch, it was so much fun to just pick apart. Like we actually really liked doing that episode because it was just so much fun to shit on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's very, I can't tell you how cathartic it is to just rant about Billy for five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which we might do as we go into some of these episodes. So why don't we start now with uh, the first episode Mm-hmm. which is Cro-Magnon from season one. It's episode 12 and it aired January 5th, 1998. Mm-hmm. I was in seventh grade. So yes, it was very, uh, very young. All right. So are you going to put a minute on the clock for me? I am. A recap of Cro-Magnon in one minute. <laughs> Three, two, one. So this whole thing kind of revolves around this sculpting class that Allie and Renee go to where they're sculpting naked men and (laughs) one of them has a giant penis (laughs) and that just becomes like the entire thing that they talk about this entire episode, (laughs) especially when Allie goes on a date with him. And meanwhile, she is working on this case with John, that is about this guy who uh, assaulted somebody who was yeah. disparaging to his date. And um, he doesn't want to say he's guilty because of the circumstances. And they end up getting him off. And Allie has sex with the guy with the giant penis while all of the guys and Elaine and uh, Georgia get obsessed with boxing matches and it's just a whole like male uh primal time yes (laughs) that was pretty good that might be my best one that might be my best one good job (laughs) thank you (laughs) i didn't mention though the dancing baby (laughs) the dancing baby that's like the thing everyone remembers from this episode so yeah, yeah you did did sort of miss out the key moment but no no problem it's fine it but, wasn't a but key we can plot talk point. about it now <laughs> yeah sure so um the dancing baby was this like 3d rendered animation like i said earlier that i think was pointed out to david e kelly or something like that and they decided to put it into the show as one of ali's hallucinations Uh, with some music behind it. So like the baby is dancing and there's always this ooga chaka sound when the baby is appearing. Yeah, from the blue sweet song, uh, uh, I Got a Feeling. Um, So yeah, it's, um, it's, so apparently, and I think I vaguely remember this, I wasn't really present on the internet at that time because we didn't have it at home, but I did have it at school. And I do remember vaguely seeing that this dancing baby was it was basically like the original viral meme like people just kept emailing it to each other um it wasn't the (laughs) only one that existed but it was one of the ones that got really really popular enough to attract kind of general attention in the world um and just yeah the way memes worked back then kids was that you emailed (laughs) them to each other (laughs) 
<laughs> like these little like video files got emailed and they would take forever to download on an email and then you'd eventually best play and it would be really like jerky and you'd be like oh it's a baby dancing <laughs> and but if yeah. that happened now you'd be like i'm not opening this it's a virus <laughs> exactly I mean, half the time they probably were viruses, right? But yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, someone must have sent that to David E. Kelly or received it and shown it to David E. Kelly. Um, I think so the story goes. And he was like, oh, that's great. Let's put it in the show. Um, and yeah, this was, uh, as I say, part of this type of thing was part of what made this show like so iconic um because it was just so no one else was doing anything like that in a like a dramatic like dramedy type show um and it just made it stand out i think and the fact that they did it so often in the first season it just really became like a hallmark of ali mcbeal or my why you might want to watch it so um and i think it was the whole point of the dancing baby in this episode was to basically symbolize Ali's guilt over wanting to sleep with a guy with a big penis <laughs> um, and well this is Renee's like armchair armchair psychology she's like oh well it's obviously because you think you know your your mind is like oh you shouldn't just be sleeping with men with a big penis you should be thinking about having babies and your biological clock is ticking and this is your mind's way of telling you that um, but also partly it's to kind of showcase how like kooky and interesting that Ali is and you know she yeah. dances with it within her sheep pajamas and like that's the iconic like ending scene of this episode but yeah so cage john he's the one who kind of tells her that he had had a hallucination of his mm -hmm. aunt who kept wanting to have a tea his party with him dead aunt his dead <laughs> aunt can we just say that sounds terrifying <laughs> no <laughs> yes <laughs> and also as we've said there's this just really like laid back attitude towards hallucinations by right. Renee, by John. They're just like, oh, I have them too. Or, oh, I'm sure it's just your biological clock. Like, no, <laughs> I think you need to go to the doctor. <laughs> As we'll see in the next episode. Well, quite, quite. Um, but he tells Ali that I think his therapist maybe said to just lean into it basically and she's like what did you do and he says i had tea with her <laughs> and then she went away and so we see like this baby stalking Allie the entire episode basically uh she'll be in mid-conversation and then hear like uga chukka or see the baby like running into the elevator doors and by the end, she's like trying to find it. Face she like fear. wakes up at like <laughs> two something in the morning hearing it. And obviously Renee wakes up too because Allie's crashing around her room. Yeah. And she's <laughs> like, this is it. disrupting my sleep now. <laughs> yeah. I did um, think that Renee, when she was like, go with Glenn, go with life, <laughs> go to sleep. That was really one of my favorite yeah. lines in the episode. <laughs> yeah. So at the end, she decides to follow Cage's advice and just dance with the baby. And it's probably one of the moments that most people take away from this series as a whole. It's an yeah. image that you have for sure seen in some context, whether it's the clip or just the image or something like that. She's wearing the sheep pajamas, which, so they're Nick and Nora brand. I had the <laughs> shorts. You had some, didn't you? Yeah. We can yeah. get them in the UK. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, at another point, she's wearing cloud pajamas that are also Nick and Nora. I had those shorts as well. My sister had the full pajama set, 
but we would get Nick and Nora pajamas every Christmas. So my parents from time I was a baby to now, um, we always get pajamas on Christmas Eve. And so back in the late nineties, early two thousands, it was always Nick and Nora. So I didn't get those specific ones. I just had the shorts, but I had other ones that had like penguins on them or, oh, I had, um, uh, Lucille Ball, I Love Lucy ones. Oh, cute, cute. Yeah, yeah we can get that brand, but uh, that you can see why they're so, they just look so comfy, right? Like why, yeah. why they were so popular. So, so yeah, I think this, this episode, interestingly, I think, um, there's, there's a real nineties, like panic here that Ali's having about being attracted to Glenn on a purely sexual level it just feels like one of those things that maybe we wouldn't worry about so much these days or if you had it as a plot point like someone would be like why what's the problem um but she's clearly like super alarmed about this um and what I think is quite funny is Renee points out that you know why should you be worried men do it all the time and Ali has such internalized misogyny that she's happy to like just say it out loud because she's like oh no but we have to live up to double standards because we're women um and again that's such a 90s thing to say um so I thought that really stood out to me as quite a of its time kind of conversation um and she ended up only talking herself into it being okay to sleep with him and have a one night stand because he happens to say that he's leaving town which is really annoying because whilst it was great to see her for the first time actually in this season kind of just loosen up and go with it um but what you don't see from just this episode is oh my god the amount of like soul searching which is funny because the theme song (laughs) is called searching my soul but the amount of like navel gazing and just like despair that this led to after this episode was just it just went on and on like she just kept going on and on about the fact that you know her husband her future husband would be so (laughs) terrified to know that she was one of those women that would sleep with and it was just like every time me and Anna would be like oh for god's sake like Jesus Christ and it's it's interesting it's interesting that she was so concerned about the biological clock thing because I mean she was 27 in this episode right (laughs) I think in real life she was 33. Yes. Um, but I mean, yeah, 27. I'm, we're both like eight years older than that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it, that is quite funny when they say, when they say the ages in this show, because Ali, Ali's meant to be 27 in season one and John and Richard are meant to be in their like thirties. And I'm like, yeah, sure, pal. Like they're clearly <laughs> in their forties or late thirties going on 40. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's quite funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because they set up this whole thing about like the women are kind of obsessive about this guy's giant penis and it's somewhat set up in the same way that a storyline with men would be about like a woman's breasts and it's they they do treat them similarly but I think we're meant to not care as much because it's women doing the ogling instead of men yeah but yes Renee is particularly 
uh, about this because she's she's just so overt with her, in the class as well when she's like, I'm going to need more clay. And then she's like, also <laughs> like she, she's modeling him and then the penis bit falls to the floor and then you look at it and it's like the size of the leg. But she's also <laughs> got, I'm like, there's no way his penis is that big. What's the matter? I thought I heard something. Damn it, I cannot do this guy according to scale. Gravity keeps screwing it up. That's so stupid. And um, Renee, or the actress who plays Renee, like, you can tell that she's having trouble getting through the lines. Like, she's smiling <laughs> as she does it. And, like, yeah, maybe it's supposed to be, like, she knows what she's saying, um, the character. But also, it's just such a funny line that yeah. i'm sure it just was the actress breaking yes i i think so as well the other thing i thought was interesting about this episode was that we really do see the signs of uh georgia being a fucking asshole <laughs> <laughs> because i mean this guy glenn and his big penis has literally nothing to do with billy but it sends him into this spiral for the entire episode of insecurity such that he is just a takes out on Georgia by trying to control whether she can go to the class because this big penis man will be there. Um, and also what she's going to wear when she goes to the class. He doesn't like that she was wearing jeans and a t-shirt that showed a tiny bit of midriff which to me is not revealing but whatever yeah. um even if it was like fuck off billy you don't own your wife <laughs> <laughs> um and she has to spend so much energy in this episode just bolstering his self-esteem um and and we have to watch it and i just think i don't know there's a scene in this episode where they're in the bedroom together it basically this all spirals into billy not being able to perform in bed with georgia because he's worried that size matters that much yeah. oh my that god the women were like so obsessed with this guy that it must reflect on him yeah so this size matters conversation actually with all the girls was felt very 90s as well because i don't know if we have that conversation as much <laughs> these days um but yeah he they have this, um, they, they go to bed together and he can't, you know, get it up essentially um, is the implication. And they have this chat afterwards where George is trying to reassure him that it's all fine. But then she also says like, actually, I'm kind of happy. She sort of is like a bit tearful because she's like, for once it's, it's not me with the insecurity, it's you. Um, and for me, that's a bit, looking back at it, knowing what I know now, it's a bit of a red flag of their issues in their relationship because they had a lot of insecurity issues. They, Billy didn't treat Georgia very well. He lied to her a lot of the time about what was really going on. And this is, and when he, when think, when he feels threatened, he gets very defensive and very controlling. And this was some early warning signs of that for us as the audience. And, um, well, we'll see how that ended up in the next episode that we watch. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, I just thought it was quite interesting to go back and revisit that now, given where I am now in the, the season rewatch. Yeah. And the whole episode basically has, like I was saying, this like macho masculinity line going through it because there's the aspect of uh, Glenn with his big penis and what that means for him as compared to Billy, for example. But also the case that they're defending is this guy who um, punched 
uh, yes. his date's ex-boyfriend because the he was like calling week. her a slut yeah. and some other stuff. And um, meanwhile, the guys and Elaine are like getting ready to watch this boxing match. Fight. And there's yeah. this whole montage where Allie is having sex with the model and Glenn. they're all watching <laughs> the fight. And it's like this weird like uh synchronicity basically yeah <laughs> i really love that actually that that scene that the kind of it's one of the final scenes in the episode isn't it that that ju- juxtaposition of the 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 cajun fish guys watching the fight and then ellie uh, ellie that's your dog Allie, <laughs> <laughs> Allie having sex with um you know glenn big big penis and the music in the background i think that's used in rocky um uh and and it, yeah it's just like this you just get the kind of the guys throwing the punches interspersed with Ali just like writhing around in like sexual <laughs> ecstasy and it's yeah. just like animal instinct and how like freeing that can be and then it ends with like the loser of the fight in the boxing ring is just like completely knocked out on the floor and then that fades into Ali and Glenn just like <laughs> lying side by side like she's tackled the beast like, <laughs> um, but yeah but of course then we see Ali like jumping into the shower straight away to shower off as though she's like, oh my God, I've done something really dirty. Right. And then she dances with the baby. (laughs) Then she dances with the baby. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I like how she says, all right, Mr. Huggy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. um, Oh, and I didn't say when they were defending the um, client, how John says that at one point he threw a punch at a guy who like bumped into him and how as a man, quote unquote, medieval as this may sound, it was the most satisfying moment that he's ever had. Yeah. And so he, he, that's like the basis of his argument is that even if it was wrong and yeah. he knows it was wrong and the client knows it was wrong, it was the right thing to do in the moment. Yeah. And I think John is interesting in this episode because we see him, um, well, we see, well, his closing there where he's telling that story, that's like a classic John. It becomes a classic John uh, trope, which is basically how he closes all of his cases ends up being just him telling this like sentimental story about something that may or may not have actually happened (laughs) with like an accompanying flashback in like sepia tones. Um, So yeah, John's mantra, I think, is never get let the the exact truth get in the way of a good closing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I mean, he's good at what he does and it worked. So yeah, it definitely does work. He's very successful. All of the animal instinct won out here. Yeah, it did. It did, right? (laughs) the only thing i was gonna say in addition was that your podcast is named bygones so i did count how many times (gasps) they said bygones in the episode and it was twice yeah um so it was actually i think in the same scene but (laughs) yeah it's um bygones again bygones is a thing that so richard fish it's richard fish's catchphrase or one of them and he um he says it a lot like the gift moments a lot of these catchphrases started in season one and were done quite a lot to start with and then they kind of fade out so he also has like fishisms fishisms no that's not right fishisms <laughs> that he says which are like little sayings that he attributes to himself and his own personal philosophy and we used to have at least one of them every episode but now these days in season three I mean, you'll be lucky if you get one every four episodes and same yeah. with bygones, it sort of fades out a bit. But when they do bring it back, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, I remember you used to do that. So it's quite <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cool. 
Well, one of the things that we do for each episode is we rate on a scale of zero to five. Uh-huh. And we use something from the episode as our scale and we each pick something different. Um, <laughs> so I can go first just to kind of show you the ropes. Yeah, sure. But I think that this is... A good episode. It has some iconic stuff. Obviously, it does also have a lot of problematic things in it as well, which makes it kind of hard to balance. But the, you know, Nick and Nora pajamas, the dancing baby, I feel like is so indicative of what was great about Allie McBeal. Like, she loves a good set of pajamas. It's just one thing that is part about her character. Um, and, you know, I do like that in the end, she does what was right for her and not uh, get so in her head about it, which is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I like this episode uh, more than I was thinking I would at the very, very beginning. So I'm going to give this... Three and a half sheep pajamas out of five. Yeah, I think that's that sounds good. I think I'm similar to you. Like, I think it's one of uh, the Ali, Ali McBeal's better episodes because the problematic stuff is kind of less, <laughs> not gone completely, but less. Yeah, um, and and the just the fact that it's just so iconic. Like, if anyone ever tells, you know, asks me, like, what you know, what, what are the, the episodes of Ali McBeal that stand out in your mind? Like you asked me that for this, this, uh, for planning this episode of the podcast. And yeah, this was immediately one that came to mind because it's, um, just got all of the, all of the things that you, um, maybe remember from Ali McBeal, but can't quite pinpoint why, like you remember her dancing, you remember a dancing baby and you're like, why was that happening? But yeah. (laughs) Um, so I would say, um, I'm going to be a little bit more generous just because, I, I I'm in the storyline a bit more than you are, but I'm gonna <laughs> give it four massive clay penises out of five. <laughs> Gravity defined penises. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Well, the other thing that we do every time we record is a Scrubs connection. Drew normally does it, but he's not here. So <gasps> I have to take the reins. And I didn't even have to look this one up because it is one that came up when I was last on your podcast talking about the season three episode, Blue Christmas, the one Mm -hmm. with the baby in the manger. (laughs) Yeah. And the judge in that episode who is ruling whether Elaine can have custody of this baby or not instead of, you know, giving it over to a foster parent or something like that is Aloma Wright. She plays Judge Aloma Harris, and yeah. <laughs> she was Laverne on Scrubs. Yeah. So Nurse Roberts from Scrubs, which is such a huge character. She is a side character for sure, but she's in so many episodes. So um, I remember watching that episode and being like, oh, my gosh, it's Laverne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's, that was amazing that that happened on the episode that we got you on. We didn't plan it, but it just worked out that way. Yeah. Well, it was also funny because Eleanor was the one who brought it up. Yeah. (laughs) I was fully prepared to do a Scrubs connection on your podcast, and then Eleanor beat me to it. Well, she's a big Scrubs fan as well, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't surprise me that she got that. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. (laughs) There are probably many other Scrubs connections, too, just because of the timing of that show, but Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was a good one. Yeah. 
So the next episode we watched is Boy Next Door, which is episode 16 from season three, and it aired on March 27th, 2000. Laura Jane, are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry, just doing right. some stretches. <laughs> I am getting my phone out. I'm getting a lot of Seahawks texts. I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. So, quick recap. In the end of the last episode, Billy broke the news. He had found out that he has a brain tumor. So, we open the cold open in this episode is him telling that to Ali. And Ali is super shocked. Um, and nobody, everybody at Cajun Fish, when they find out, is like, I'm not really sure how to deal with this. But Billy's like, No, don't worry, guys. It's fine. I'm going to go and see a doctor. So, he's um, doing that. Um, but the. Uh, meanwhile, John has managed to get stuck in the elevator shaft and his egg, his eggs, his legs are like kicking everywhere. And Nell decides that's the perfect time to tell him that she's breaking up with him. Billy goes to get his tests. Um, he gets more and more hallucinations throughout the episode. He's on a case of the week with Ali, with two married people that are, you know, uh, really upset with each other because one of them had plastic surgery. And then Billy dies when he's doing his closing and they have his memorial service and it's all really sad. <laughs> <laughs> you, had, you had like three seconds left because you just I sped panicked. through it. <laughs> I panicked. Um, no, there, there is a lot to talk about in, in the episode. Uh, it is a very dramatic and sad episode. This is one that I remember so well from when it first aired. Like, oh my gosh, the love of her life mm -hmm. has died. Mm-hmm. I and can't he believe I just have court. to like say that at high speed because it's so big. Like you want to like, take a pause afterwards. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy dies in this episode. It's huge. It's massive. Um, and yeah, and it was the one big major plot, like cross season like plot point that I remembered when we talked about doing a rewatch for a podcast. I was like, well, if I remember nothing else, it's that Billy dies halfway right. through the series. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is uh, this is quite a huge episode. Yeah, and the, I guess, development of him having the brain tumor, that individual part is pretty quick, but his personality changes much earlier on, yeah. I feel like, and that has to be somewhat related. I know that he is getting divorced from Georgia, and so he's kind of going through this midlife crisis to a degree and all that, but, I mean, he changes his hair color, he starts... uh in the episode that I watched with you, he was like lifting weights in his office and was all like sweaty and shirtless. And it's just like, who is this guy? Well, so yeah, so Billy, since season one and the last episode we were talking about, he's been on quite a journey, right? So we at Bygones have always thought he was an asshole. And after, you know, uh, season one, him and Ali had like a hot minute where they almost got together in season two, which started in the Christmas episode that you came on to talk about. Um, much to our horror <laughs> but then <laughs> by season three billy's like assholery just started to take on a new dynamic and as you say it's questionable whether or not that bit was caused by the brain tumor i don't think we can blame the brain the brain tumor on all of his terrible no. personality before <laughs> then but in season three he just started to get more and more outlandish and explicit in being like a bit of a 
ass basically so he started becoming this like out and proud card carrying misogynist um georgia broke up with him and filed for divorce thank god um and she also left cajun fish as a lawyer um so he and he started getting these as you say he bleached his hair he got an earring he he was basically having this entire midlife crisis he started hiring women to be like billy girls and like accessorize when he went into big client meetings to impress them i mean it was just all disgusting um but yeah but this episode and actually the the episode before that was when his hallucinations started which is where mm. um they were you know led him to go to a doctor and ended up being diagnosed with this brain tumor um and as you say it really really you know he got diagnosed last episode this episode he dies so it's a very very quick um actual progression of the brain tumor um from finding out about it but as you say this has been something's been not right like even more not right than normal for a while so yeah yeah i always in my memory of the show attributed him bleaching his hair with the brain tumor <laughs> you thought the bre- the bleach caused it <laughs> I actually thought that they happened a lot closer together in my memory. No, and yeah. it's actually there for so much longer. But yeah. yeah, I just, I picture Billy, you know, in the courtroom with this bleached hair. And so I just put two and two together and I'm like, oh, he has bleached hair. So this is when he has the brain tumor. But yeah. 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 No, I think there's something to be said for that. I think, you know, a brain tumor doesn't appear one day and then you die the next. It will have been there for a while, but how much yeah. we can blame on the brain tumor i think let's not be too generous towards billy i still think he was a terrible person <laughs> right. for a long time <laughs> yes and he actually dies of a uh aneurysm right yeah he has a hemorrhage um oh, which hemorrhage, they, think, right. they think was the the brain tumor that's what richard explains when he tells john but yeah so it's interesting so billy dying um i don't know how you feel about it maybe you're a bit a step removed because you've not been following along as closely as I have the last few years but um I'm not gonna lie um as much as I hate him as a character it did get me I had I had tears in my eyes um and I think he's a he was a terrible example of a human being um as a character but I do know what it's like and I think a lot of people do um to love someone who isn't good for you and you can't just switch those feelings off um so I just really empathized with the heartbreak that Ali was you know feeling in that moment and what makes me quite mad now and I haven't watched beyond this episode or rewatched, I should say I have watched beyond it but a long time ago so for the podcast this is where we're up to um and I am worried now that although she's, um, you know, she's she's now got this excuse to romanticize this love that they had forever because he can't ever do anything to disprove it now. Um, And actually, they never had love. Like, Billy and Ali are not this OTP pairing. (laughs) They are an example of an extremely toxic relationship with a manipulative guy who never wanted to be the bad guy, always wanted to have his cake and eat it too, played his wife and his ex-girlfriend off against each other. And this was all before anything to do with the brain tumor. So I think as far as my podcast goes, I'm going to be keeping a really close lookout for these rose-tinted glasses that I know Ali's going to bring out. 
because yeah. she will. Um, but I am not having it. <laughs> like, no. It's no, sad that's that he's exactly, died, but no. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking too, because it's like he was such a problematic character, the sexism, the emotional manipulation and all that. And in this episode, it was almost like he got so much redemption that was unearned. Like the mm. only way it was earned was, oh, he is sick. Yeah. And so all of this stuff is irrelevant now because there are all these flashbacks to Allie and him as kids. And like you were saying, it romanticizes everything. Like they have so much history. They were in love from when they were eight years old. Yeah. And um, when he's like on the stand or giving his closing arguments, he is actually talking to Allie and we're talking about Allie. You see that woman? I've been married to her for 12 years. And every day when I go home to her and our kids, it's everything. It's so everything. Mr. Thomas, you seem to be getting a little off track. What I'm trying to say, in the end, love is the only thing that counts. I've loved her since I was eight years old. We've never been apart. Not a single day. And I will love her for all my days. And it's all that counts. It's all that will ever count. All of my heart. Forever. It's kind of like a what could have been. And I yeah. think that that is going to influence Allie a lot. Because, it's going to haunt her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he haunts her in the episode. <laughs> yeah, after dying, we like, get quite literally. <laughs> we get ghost Billy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's you're right. I think she will cling on to those words. Um, and she's the sort of person that will just keep replaying them and remember them and keep conjuring up ghost Billy when she needs him. And it's like, she's never going to move on now. She's literally always going to have Billy on a pedestal um, and paint him to be this sort of saint that he just wasn't. I'm sorry, he wasn't. No. And that's not saying I don't want her to be sad, of course. Um, but but not 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 this like always forever nonsense. I'm no, <laughs> I don't don't want it yeah and I mean maybe part of it is that she misses or she's sad about what could have been yeah and what they could have had together regardless of the fact that they didn't yeah and that you know he actually was married to another woman Ali tells Georgia that his last words were tell Georgia yeah. I love her which is not the case no but uh she knew that that would be meaningful to Georgia so she yeah. said that and kind of kept everything else to herself I kind of 
feel like Georgia would find out what happened in public in court, but yeah, <laughs> I did wonder that. I was like, how much of that would they, you know, put on the records that he said? Yeah, um, but I do. I have to say that moment reminds me. I do love this episode for honoring the um, the great story arc that they gave Ali and Georgia's friendship because as I said in the last episode we discussed uh, or when we've been talking about Georgia as a character it would have been so easy to write Georgia as someone who was just mean to Ali by virtue of her being the ex-girlfriend and then be like bitchy towards each other and that be like the main point of conflict for the series Um, but they never really did that it always had this foundation of friendship and what we see when Billy dies is um, that that stays like they they lean on each other and Ali saves George's feelings by you know telling a white lie about what Billy's last words actually were and and equally when Ali's doing the eulogy at the memorial service um, she's talking about how much she loved him and you know always and forever and you don't see Georgia resentful of that in a way that you know they might have easily played it actually they both recognize that they're two women that loved this flawed man and at the you know the episode ends with them just hugging each other at Billy's graveside and that to me was the most touching thing about the episode um, Mm -hmm. the fact that they've got each other um, and they haven't you know, they're not fighting over him anymore. Um, and they never really they never really fought over him, really, to begin with. It was just, um, it was him playing them off against each other. And right. I think they saw through that a lot of the time, which is good. Um, so that, to me, it was just, it's all, I've always loved watching Ali and Georgia together. So that was really nice. Yeah. One thing that kind of struck me about the episode, so when Georgia comes in to talk to Ali, kind of immediately after Billy dies, um, Georgia says, oh, we have to plan this funeral. They're planning it together, Together. which I thought was nice. Um, It does happen the next day, which seems a little bit unreasonable. And there were so many people there. And I was like, how did they get that done in one day? Yeah. Um, And then when they go to the cemetery, it seems like it's like that night or the next day. And he already has a headstone. That would not happen. (laughs) Very, very accelerated timeline. (laughs) I mean, they had a throwaway line where they were like, oh, Richard's spoken to his parents and they're like, you can organize it. And I was like, would they really say that? I don't know if they would. But yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, artistic license, I guess, uh, for that. But yeah, I really enjoyed the memorial service as well because I thought um, the fact that they used his, what became his like season three theme tune in a way, which was new mm. man in town when he was like, I'm different. I'm not going to be taking shit from women anymore. New man in town. The fact that they got the choir to sing that and that, you know, heaven, there's a new man in town. I thought that was quite amusing. Yeah, um, and yeah. Um, Ali says that when they were kids, they would uh, sing this song that says, like, and when I'm oh, yes. dead and uh, there will be one child born in the world to carry on, which, yeah. um, so the song was lit- written by Laura Nairo, and I have the album here somewhere. Oh, wow, um, okay, yeah. And I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the song from Ali McBeal. <laughs> Because I had only ever heard it in this oh, episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. I think I heard um, the Hooked on a Feeling Uga Chaka song from Annie Mobile first. So when they used it in Guardians of the Galaxy, I was like, oh, yeah, why yeah, are they yeah. using the Annie Mobile song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
the show introduced us to all these songs, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true, it's true. Yeah, and at the very end, uh, Vonda Shepard is singing Carol King's Home Again. Yes, yeah, there's such good music in all of the episodes of the show, but yeah, it's yeah. Uh, nice. Actually, this episode had a lot of music in general. Um, when Billy haunts Allie, um, I think Vonda might be singing it, but it's the song You Belong to Me. I can't yeah, remember yeah. who's singing it. See the pyramids. Yeah, it is Vonda. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, she, You Belong to Me. That's their song, isn't it? The one they dance to. And then also the other song that's like, uh, almost like their love theme is the neighborhood song, which is a Vonda original, but it's, um, the one that says there's a picture I've been looking for. It's oh, a photo right. of a boy yeah. next door. That's like Billy and Ali's theme. Um, so yeah, that always comes out and yeah, that's part of what I, why I get emotional because they've managed to like embed these like musical cues for their relationship, the emotional <laughs> parts of their relationship. And as soon as I hear it, I'm like, ah! yeah, it's, um, yeah, very clever, very clever. Um, what did you think of um, Nell? I have a lot to say about Nell. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nell, I think she kind of owned what she did. So she breaks up with Cage while he is stuck in this elevator shaft. <laughs> that looked very dangerous. I like, how was he not more severely hurt? He is stuck in the elevator shaft with his legs sticking out. And yes, he does kicking. go to the hospital and he has swollen vertebrae. But wouldn't he have been like chopped in half? Like what? <laughs> I have no idea how he got in that position. Like he must've been trying to escape and just got stuck, which is just stupid. Like, why would you do yeah. that? Just wait for the fire brigade to come. But it's, yeah, it's, I, I think <laughs> that situation was so strange. And I think for me, the thing that I'm sad about with Nell is that you see here, like obviously Nell has started, had started dating um, Nell in the second season. And this is the episode where their relationship is like, you know, the death Nell has been told, told <laughs> for their relationship. Um, now, Nell is a really tricky character because in season two she was introduced as supposedly this like sub-zero Nell was like her professional like nickname that people have given her from around the courts because she was known as being this like ice queen super cold like not warm in the slightest just a bit of a bitch but actually when you when she was from the moment she was introduced I didn't see any of that in her character like she was nothing but friendly um a little bit awkward, but nothing, you know, mean or nasty about her. And actually she could be very, very kind. Like she was, when her and John's first started dating, she has a frog phobia. And at the time, John Cage had this pet frog <laughs> that ended up dying in a yes. whole thing. But she bought him a replacement even though she hates frogs, like she just could be very, very kind. Um, and so we were like, what the fuck is this sub-zero Nell thing all about? It's, it's not, like, I've seen no evidence of it whatsoever. But in season three, she's had this complete character assassination by David E. Kelly. And I'm really mad about it because she just was <laughs> someone that I really loved as a character because she was really strong, good example of a professional woman um, doing things on her own terms. She didn't want babies, which was like, you know, really refreshing to see. Um, she, you know, wasn't insecure like Ali was or moaning all the time. Um, she was just like, you know, I care about my career. I like having my, my boyfriend, John, really great. And now she's just turned into this 
real bitch. And I just think this is like the culmination of a lot of the behavior that we've seen of her in season three, where she's like, oh, I'm just going to break up with him while he can't argue back and yeah. do it in that way. And I just felt really sorry for John because I just thought, you know, <laughs> what a shame. You know, you thought you were in it for the long haul and then she's she's just completely changed as a person. <laughs> Blame yeah. David E. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, so she goes to see John at the hospital because of his swollen vertebrae. And um, he says, you could have done it face to face, Nell, because um, she basically did it butt to face. <laughs> yeah, she did it face to butt, yeah. <laughs> and she says, I've never been good at breaking up. And then she sort of has this very slight pause before saying with men. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, should I read into this? <laughs> yeah, well, as we know, you know, Portia de Rossi was, uh, I don't think she was out then. I think she kept it a secret for oh, quite really? a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think she felt able to come out publicly but yeah she as yeah. we know now she's she's gay but um yeah I I'm just really sad about Nell because I did like her and now she's just turned into this really she's been really snobby towards some of the secretaries in the office in the past couple of episodes just being really shitty towards them um and I think she references it a little bit in this episode that you know he thinks I'm this elitist snob bitch and I'm like only because you've suddenly become one you weren't before <laughs> like what happened yeah so, yeah it's uh yeah a shame a real shame yeah she does say that she tends to embrace being a total bitch when she does something unlikable hmm i'm not sure how much of that is a like an ex like just you can't just be shitty to people and be like but that's just what i do like i just don't think that's a fair excuse you know yeah but yeah poor john um, I did notice a very 90s thing in this episode. So there's a point where they're at the doctor because uh, Georgia and Allie go with Billy to the doctor. Yeah. And he pulled out a Palm Pilot. <laughs> yes, I did notice that. How funny is that? Yeah, we've seen Richard use that a few times as well, as well as one of those like electronic organizers that people used to have in yeah. the late 90s um but yeah that's that's uh that's yeah that's a piece of technology that is redundant these days it's just so funny uh <laughs> like pulling out the stylus to write on this screen and like I had somewhat of a Palm Pilot I don't remember what it was called it wasn't yeah, that brand me too and me too like I just thought it was the coolest thing and also it could like record audio and stuff like that oh mine and, wasn't that fancy <laughs> yeah and mine was like a translucent teal color oh wow so it was very like cool looking no but... I had like some kind of weird uh I don't know uh electronic organizer that I don't know why I wanted it because I was at school like what I wasn't scheduling meetings or anything like that so <laughs> yeah. I've got no idea why I thought I needed one but I got one and I just thought it was the um the, the I just thought I was the shit with it I was just like yes I've got this thing up. I'm so important <laughs> and god knows what I was putting in there but yeah <laughs> yeah I have literally no idea what I was using mine for other than recording people saying stuff I actually still have one of the audio files of this little kid that I used to babysit <laughs> where uh he's saying hi Katie and for a while I used that as my um you know on AOL instant messenger how you yes. could change the sounds when uh somebody would log on or off or yes, send you a yes, message yes. so when people logged on I had the sound that said hi Katie oh that's cute <laughs> that's really cute yeah, but I just love some good 90s technology on TV shows. And so seeing the Palm Pilot was excellent. Yes. <laughs> I did have another bygones count. 
Yeah. Richard did say it twice yes. in about 10 seconds. Yes. <laughs> he said it when they were in the weekly like team meeting and he was like, oh, I'm talking about you like you're already dead. Bygones. <laughs> Which probably came back to haunt him afterwards. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's the episode. Yeah. It's a very sad one. Yeah, it is sad. As I say, I did. I mean, I'm quite hormonal at the moment. Um, but yeah, uh, it is. Uh, and we should say it's because you're pregnant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Although I would say even when I wasn't pregnant, there were certain times of the month that I was more hormonal than others. But yeah, um, yeah. The, um, the I did cry like at the end when um, Ali's like trying to give him CPR and then she realizes it's too late. And, you know, in the memorial service. So it's just very. Yeah. It was sad. It, get, it did get me. So, yeah. do you want to go first with your rating? Sure. Um, so, I think, I mean, this is actually the highest rated episode of Ali McBeal on IMDb um, of all of the series. Um, and I think I, I agree that it's a really, I think it sometimes Ali suffers from not getting the balance right between hard hitting emotional stuff and the kind of comedy storylines that they weave in. But I actually think they did this one pretty well. Um, cause there was some funny moments, um, uh, kind of before the dramatic stuff, but we didn't, once Billy had died, it stayed on the kind of, no, this is serious with some kind of, you know, some humor in the wanting to make people laugh and celebrate his life kind of way, which I think worked quite well. Um, so I think I'm going to give this four and a half uh, ghost billies out of five. Nice. Um, yeah, this I feel like is a iconic episode in a different way than the last one was this one was more iconic in a touching way and also because something very big and impactful happens mm. and obviously like I remembered it from back in the day you remembered it from back in the day um it's not one that is easily forgettable and even if some of the details of it might end up being forgettable um or kind of blending together like the overall episode is pretty powerful and like we were saying hope that you know Allie doesn't romanticize this <laughs> the rest of the time I can't remember I'll no, listen to your podcast to find out <laughs> but um it was it was very good and it has a lot of touching moments um not just with Billy and Allie but like you were talking about Allie and Georgia and I love seeing female friendship in shows like this. Mm. So I am also going to give this four and a half out of five Palm Pilots. Palm Pilots, yay. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's Allie McBeal. Is there anything else that you want to add about the show? Any final thoughts as the resident <laughs> like internet expert on Ali McBeal at this point. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Um, yeah, I think so. Ali McBeal, I think it has a lot of um, uh, so as we've said, so much of it doesn't hold up now. But I think for the most part, its heart was in the right place, um, and I think it did. Um, it did try to. I mean, the less said about season five, the better. But for the most part, it did try and show a story of a woman just trying to make her way in the world and navigate all of the issues and um, concerns of a modern woman. Um, not always in 
the most successful way. But I think that that you know it was just nice to see a show that wasn't that was female forward, um, that thought about things from um, a female's perspective, um, which. Uh, you know, we got more and more with uh, with with other shows around this time as well, which I think was part of a good trend. I think the fact that it was so well talked about, I think, shows that they had an eye on what would make uh, things popular back then. I think they were quite astute in dr- sort of jumping on the bandwagon of the kind of gif meme <laughs> early ideas and and weaving that into the show in a way that felt fresh and interesting and exciting it looks quite funny and dated now but at the time it was cool I promise <laughs> it um, was inventive so, yeah it was inventive it was the first time we saw anything like that and um I just think you know it, we a lot of the shows of today owe something to Annie McBeal um I think you know if it wasn't for Annie McBeal we wouldn't have things like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend which actually borrowed mm. a lot of a similar type of setup um did it better in my opinion <laughs> but you know you can't have everything everything has to start somewhere and it's been really fun to revisit for me um so if you do get a chance um you know feel free to explore on Hulu and if you want to listen to my podcast please please do we'll, we'll be happy to have you <laughs> yeah do you want to let people know how they can find you sure uh so you can find bygones um we're on twitter and facebook at bygones podcast uh we are on instagram at bygones pod um we also uh we've spoken about the music quite a lot in this episode i do collect up all of the songs that get featured on Alibut Beal into seasonal playlists on Spotify. So they are in all of our show notes. So if you want to find those, the links are always in the in the descriptions of the podcast episodes. So yeah, nice. feel free to borrow those as well. Yeah. And uh, your podcast, I believe, is everywhere that every other yes. podcast is. So. Yes, just search <laughs> for be Bygones easy to find. or Annie McBeal. Like we're the only Annie McBeal rewatch podcast <laughs> to date. <laughs> nice. And for us, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TFGIF Podcast. You can also send us an email at TFGIFpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe tell us about your experiences watching Allie McBeal or rewatching. Are you one of those people who likes it still too? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and if you could give us a five-star rating on Apple, that would be a huge help to us towards gaining more exposure. And, you know, if you have an extra minute, maybe two, then throw us a review as well. And we'll read it on a future episode like this one from page 87, who says, Addicted, one of my favorite podcasts ever. Nothing beats 90s shows. I am so here for it. Ah, yeah, nothing yeah. does beat 90s shows. <laughs> 90s shows are so much fun I just love nostalgia and yeah. I think a lot of people do especially people our age like yeah uh the 90s has obviously a lot of problematic stuff like we've been talking about with Ally McBeal but it is part of our childhoods and it's fun to look back at what we remember so and you know see how far we've grown exactly <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was so much fun having you on the podcast and I always love being on yours. And so Thank it was you. fun to kind of switch a little bit. So yes. Yeah, no, it's been really fun. Thank you so much for having me on, Katie. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Great. Well, um, I think Drew will be back for our next episode. Don't know what we'll be talking about yet. So that will be a surprise. But until then, bye.